0: Welcome to What Does This Mean?, a discussion of the Bible texts that are assigned in many Christian churches for the upcoming Sunday. In this episode, we'll get a glimpse into how the first Christians were practicing their faith, some guidance from Paul about suffering, and some interesting metaphors about sheep, gates, and shepherds. Welcome. We're so glad that you joined us. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmailing
1: I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson.
0: We're the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. And for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about the readings that we will read on this coming Sunday, which is the fourth Sunday of Easter. There are 50 days in the Easter season and seven Sundays. So we're about Halfway through our celebration. And this is the Sunday where every year we have readings about the Good Shepherd. So it's often called Good Shepherd Sunday. So some of those metaphors may guide our discussion for today. Normally, we would invite a guest to join us to ask us really hard questions, but I didn't get around to it this week or last week. These have been (laughs) crazy times for us, and we've been negotiating all kinds of new and different things, and sometimes we just don't get to everything that's on our list. So you get to hear just the three of us for the next couple episodes, but we promise you we will get back to having our wonderful guests on the show. Pastor Lois, you want to read our first reading?
2: Yes, this is a reading from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. The baptized devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. When I read this, I it, it's it's amazing to read it today <laughs> compared to, I think, any other time I've read it just because I think we are really faced with this question of what does it mean to be church right now? We've always taught our little children, you know, church is not a building, church is the people. We get to be the church. We are the church when we're doing whatever we want to do. We, we are the church. And I think these early followers of Jesus were discovering that, discovering what, it, what does it mean to be a community? And what they were able to do was, you know, something that I'm not sure any church has ever replicated, which was they really just understood themselves to be all in it together. And everything they had was what they shared with everyone. So this generosity of spirit and joy awe, wonders. They were able to do miracles and they experienced incredible grace. Like they were just praising God all the time. Now we know things weren't really that easy for them. There was a lot of troubles around them, but they, they celebrated the, the ways that they could care for each other. They prayed for one another. They broke bread. And what's interesting is they were, it says they took, um, spent much time together in the temple and They broke bread at home.
0: I noticed that too, that I hadn't really noticed before. You know, Uh you always read this passage like, okay, this is the basic pattern for what Christian life and practice is like. But I thought some of the same things you did. It's like, okay, if these were the first Christians, they had no structures in place. They had no annual celebrations that they'd done their whole lives. And so they could just do it without thinking about it. They were making up everything as they went. And I felt a a kind of kinship with them in a new way because it feels like so many things were we're trying to invent something new and trying to figure out what, what does community look like? You know, they did it by sharing everything and, you know, uh, really doing everything together. Well, we're now in all these separate places. What does basic Christian community look like now when you can't even come to the temple and be in the big
1: group? I was just thinking how, you know, I also noticed that they they broke bread at home line in a new way this time than I ever have before. And it made me just think about how you know, we read these same Bible stories on a three-year cycle. So we read them every three years, we get the same lessons. And sometimes people, when they hear that, think, how do you find something new to say about these same Bible stories when, you know, they come up every three years? And I think one of the amazing things about Scripture is that we're always reading it through the lens of our, current situation. And we all bring to it our own experiences. And we we all read it through the lens of contemporary culture. And of course, this speaks to us differently today than it did three years ago. And that's one of the joys of reading scripture is that you get to hear these fresh perspectives each time around. Uh, And the other thing that struck me was, um, you know, I've always loved this passage describing the early Christian community and it like this idyllic little um almost like socialist little community, right? Like they shared everything in common. They're communist. And they're they're communist. But and I've always just loved that vision of everyone sharing everything in common. And even that part spoke to me differently today, thinking about how we are all going through this experience together and we are all sharing this experience in common and how that is transforming how we relate to one another. I think a lot of the divisions that have often um, separated us and put us, kind of pitted us against one another, some of those I think have started to fall away a little bit as we've realized we're all going through this thing together. We're all sharing um, all things in common right now.
2: I think of that even with people from all over the world. like you know, usually you think of a national crisis or a like if you were in a hurricane or something, you'd say, oh, that was the year of Katrina. And all these things happened that year that were really important. But people from other parts of the country would only vaguely remember what year that was. And people from other parts of the world would say, I never heard of that. This one, like no matter whom you meet who lived through this, ever in the whole world almost everyone will say oh during the pandemic of 2020 i remember something like we're really being united with everybody through this
0: right and what will be the signs and the wonders that we remember you know to write down and it's you we've all kind of commented on this the ways that people have tried to lift up messages of hope and you take walks in the neighborhood and so many doors have hearts, you know, all over them. And there's chalk written on the sidewalk and uh, neighbors seem to smile and wave with a new kind of connection to you. I mean, to me, that's that's the part of of the signs and wonders that we've been given a new set of eyes to look for them in a different
1: way. Even that closing line, and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved, spoke to me a little differently this time too, thinking about, um, I think we are experiencing that, that um, even in the midst of all of this, there are ways that God is working salvation <laughs> Uh, in and through us and um, just through the community that is the virtual community that has formed at Gloria Day and beyond, that it feels like I'm experiencing God's salvation in fresh and unique ways in these days.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've had people joining us for worship from all around the country. And one particular story that moved me was a woman in Texas who lives in a small town whose congregation left the ELCA because uh, they didn't want the church to be welcoming of GLBT people, and she's been without a church, you know, since that time. And so by being able to join us for worship on Sunday has connected her to the Christian community. So maybe we are kind of all gathering still in the temple through this different technology. Let's take a little break and we'll come back and look at our second reading.
1: Welcome back. Our second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19-25. through 25. It is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that, free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. There at the end, I think we see why this passage was chosen for today, this Good Shepherd Sunday, as Pastor Bradley said um, they get that little reference to we were going astray like sheep and now we've returned to the shepherd.
0: I was wondering as we were reading, how did this get put in on this day? But of course, you answered that question.
1: Because there's one little reference to sheep and so there it's Good Shepherd Sunday. You know, this is a passage I really struggle with and we've talked in recent episodes about sort of the glorification of suffering in our scriptures, in the New Testament in particular, and how dicey that is and how careful I think we need to be when we talk about suffering. In an earlier episode, I referenced Dolores Williams, who's this uh, womanist theologian, womanist being African-American feminist um, theology. She critiques this idea of Um, glorifying Christ's suffering on the cross and and therefore glorifying our human suffering. And I think we need to be careful to say that suffering is always bad and God is very present in it, Um, that that's often where we experience God's grace most profoundly, but that God does not will suffering. For us,
0: when I think of some of these passages about suffering, I think of it through a kind of social justice lens that it's not suffering like, oh, I've got cancer or I'm in an abusive relationship. That often when suffering is mentioned, it's because someone in the community or the entire community is standing up for something that it that is right and that there are forces that want to silence that voice and you know you see it in the civil rights movement that you know nonviolent practice was chosen as a way to challenge the oppressive structures of of the south and so it becomes advice to people who are going to suffer because of their convictions or because of their actions? And I sometimes hear it as a, okay, this is our chance to break the cycle. You know, instead of hitting back, we approach it in a different kind of way.
2: I think this also goes back to what we were saying before about kind of we're all in this together. That everybody understands this this situation that we're in right now. Part of what I hear in the womanist critique especially when they're, they're spoken uh, by people who are not suffering to say, oh, you poor people who are suffering, but remember your suffering brings you closer to God. So it's really good for you to have to suffer. And the, the critique is that's interesting coming from somebody who's not really suffering, right? You know, it's like, if, if you're in solidarity with me and suffering along with me, then we can talk about how our suffering unites us. But if you're in a position of power talking about how my suffering is actually good for me, I've got some suspicions about that. You know, so in this case, I think the author of First Peter is is recognizing a community in trouble um, who who are struggling. And as we as we might be able to recognize in our own situation today and saying, as you were saying, Pastor David, where do you see God's presence in the midst of your suffering how is god actually working through your pain right now to bring you a new insight not um don't don't worry your suffering is actually good for you they're there while i'm not really suffering at all
0: yeah and what kind you know what breaks the cycle of injustice or oppression and what can what can shine a spotlight on it in a new way i feel like we still have arguments along these lines, even in, you know, the election that's that's coming up and politics in general have gotten, you know, personal and crass in a way that probably has always been, but it's really intensified right now, name calling. And sometimes you hear people say there needs to be a candidate who can give it back in the same kind of way. Somebody who's going to get in the ring and fight? Or do we have someone
1: who witnesses to a whole different way of doing it? As I was reading this passage, I'm remembering a sermon you preached, Pastor Bradley, when you you talked about Walter Wink's explanation of the turn the other cheek passage. And the whole point was that we actually bring shame upon our oppressor when we invite more suffering. But like when we have an audience and we say, did that feel good for you to abuse me like that? Yeah. Well, why don't you just keep doing it while all these people watch? Actually, that sort of brings shame upon the one who's the oppressor and exposes their oppression um, or their behavior and that that's a turning of the tables. And when we have, I think the, the difference here between choosing suffering in that way and the sort of womanist critique from earlier is that it's that we have the option of choosing to suffer or not. I think many people suffer and don't have any choice in the matter. And that is unjust and obviously not God's will. But when we have the freedom to choose suffering in a way that it actually brings shame upon the one who's causing it, that has the power to sort of expose and defuse the power of that oppressive behavior.
0: You know, and now that we've done, I think a good job deconstructing, you know, suffering in this passage, I I wanna say a word too about that kind of personal or emotional suffering that, that people face. I think when you're in a spot where you're really experiencing pain, loss, grief, You do want to find a way to have meaning in it and to look for what God may be doing in all of this. And what does it mean for us to suffer in the spirit of Christ, to put our suffering into a bigger context, to see that God is at work in this as as in everything else, even the, the moments of great celebration and joy in our lives where it's easy to say God is in this and I can see God. I think in many of us, we want to have that sense too when it's not great. In fact, when it's pretty, pretty bad. And then to say Jesus went through this, you know, there's a, a connection
1: in that. Maybe that's a good place for us to pause and take a quick break.
0: Welcome back. Our gospel reading for Good Shepherd Sunday is from John chapter 10. Uh, this is verses 1 through 10. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, "'Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved.'" And he will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But actually, this is a good issue because the um, that I wanted to talk about anyway, because I think the metaphor of the gate, we get a little caught in that. And because it makes it sound like Jesus is the gatekeeper, you know, uh, letting some in but not others. And so uh, Christianity itself then becomes understood as a gate where some get to come in and go to heaven and others on the outside of that gate don't get to, um, either don't get to heaven or worse, go to hell, Um and I don't think that's what is going on in this passage. It's not designed to be something exclusionary. I think the the image of the gate is to protect the sheep so that they're safe from the thieves and the bandits, you know, because it's about providing this good life, abundant life, and the shepherd keeps them... Safe, and that's a much more comforting image about what God is doing, rather than gatekeeping.
2: And the the gate isn't is an easy way in. You don't have to climb a wall. You don't have to prove something. You don't have to get over it somehow. You you know, there's an open gate that God leads us through. And I, I like the sense of saying God's giving us the the most graceful, comforting, caring way. Of getting abundant life, and it's there for us to come, come and go. We, you know, it's it's uh, you know the gate is the way in and the way out in this passage. It's not just one way in. Um, it says who who will come in and go out and find pasture. There's lots of different ways in and out, and it's an open, um, safe way. It's not a scary, rough climb.
1: Right. It's actually the fence that keeps out. It's the gate that allows you to go in and out but the the fence around it is what what actually is the what keeps uh the thieves and bandits out and the and keeps you out (laughs) you have to go in through the gate
2: What what do you make of the thieves and the bandits who are the thieves and the bandits in this story or or in our own experience of faith
0: well, I think it they would be anybody that gets in the way of abundant life if like if the goal for life is this and abundant i think means you know like deep and full and meaningful and well and whole and peaceful all those all those words, and anything that attempts to steal that away from the sheep is the thief and the and the bandit um you know, and interestingly, in the Bible. Often shepherd and, and bandit imagery gets mixed up together. You've got the good shepherds and the bad uh, shepherds. And Jesus is identified as the good one because of the life question and the bad ones
1: because of the stealing life. And there's there's so much in this passage about Jesus's voice um, that we hear the voice. And I think when we think about thieves and bandits, those are also voices that are prevalent in our culture that would would try to make us believe something different um, or to follow something different. So I think in addition to what you said, Pastor Bradley, I would say the thieves and bandits are those voices that try to convince us that Jesus is not actually the shepherd we should be listening to and that there's a different uh, one that we should be following. Um, well, and I don't know about you, but
0: in this time of isolation where Darren goes to work every day, so I'm at home by myself, you know, all day long, except for when we're on Zoom conversations like this. But i tell you, there's a lot of voices in my head um that are competing to run my life. And um the isolation seems to let them come into awareness with i don't know that they seem somehow more convincing maybe than other times when my life is full and i have community around me i start to think which is the which is the good voice which is the not good voice and i don't know i've struggled with that lately
2: the varieties of images in here, you know, it's like at one point, Jesus seems to be the, the shepherd, that voice. Other times he says, I am the gate, you know? So it's like, it's uh, it's so easy for us to try and think, Oh, I know the shepherd story. This is the one Jesus is the shepherd. I'm the sheep. We're all among the sheep and Jesus rescues us or brings us back to the fold or um, protects us in the, in the thing or leads us out to pasture. But in, I like the way this goes because, especially in this parable, Jesus is kind of all over the place. You know, he's he's the voice. He's the the shepherd, maybe. He's going in and out. Maybe he's leading the sheep. Maybe he's among the sheep. Maybe he's the gate itself. Um, but I like the way in 10 little verses, the parable kind of moves all over and Jesus is all of it. it. It, it reminds us not to take it so literally and think, there's a one-to-one correspondence. I am a sheep. Uh, the gate is the, the heaven and Jesus is the doorkeeper. it's you know, so like, eh, it, it's maybe not that specific.
0: He tells this little parable and I just imagine they like just stare at him back because the next thing is they didn't understand what he's saying. And so then he tries again, you know, very truly I tell you, let's, let's go at this another way.
1: I I actually take heart in that because I always I often find John to be very esoteric and confusing, and I appreciate that the disciples are like, what, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Jesus says, I am the gatekeeper, I am the good shepherd. Like he's told them all these things, and they just don't get it, and that sort of it feels like how I feel reading John sometimes. That's probably a good place for
0: us to end. We are so glad that you all joined us for this podcast. We're interested to hear from you about what all this means. So feel free to drop us a note at pastors at glorydaystpaul.org. Thank you to Paul D'Amico Carper for continuing to provide the music for us and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts for us. Join us for online worship. You can find the links on our website for Sunday morning worship at 9.30 a.m. And we also gather on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for discussion, connection, and a time to learn together. Thank you for joining us. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean?, a podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.